0: Hashtag SFM Talking Point.
1: We continue the conversation on the Talking Point, and we're looking now at the state of the forensic laboratories in the country. Unfortunately, the backlogs that have been experienced at the laboratories continue. Nga Morombezi is the advocacy manager at Women and Men Against Child Abuse. Nga, good morning, and thank you so much for your time this morning. Good morning and thank you very much for having me. We've been sitting with this problem for some time and unfortunately there were denials about the extent of the problem. Eventually it became impossible to deny the scale of the problem and then we saw a change of tune from government in terms of how they were going to be intervening um, in, in expediting the work that is being done at these laboratories. but unfortunately it seems that it, it, it all came in too little too late. yes absolutely. Um, I think if we if we look at the,
0: the the length of time it has taken to intervene like you're saying we're sitting with a crisis and government is only coming in at the tail end of it and you know in the first quarter of 2021 and we're surprised that this is what's happening with our forensic systems. And we just find that, you know, it's very hard to believe that they were not aware. They
1: they should have been aware because this is a matter that was raised even before Parliament. And the fact that the police minister come says, you know, after this past weekend that he had paid a visit to some of the, the labs and that revealed to him the extent of the problem. It's September, <laughs> you know, already <laughs> in January, we were told about the interventions that government was going to make. And if memory serves correct, it was part of what the president also spoke about in his State of the Nation address as well, because it's really been one of the biggest challenges to access saying justice for yes. those people who are waiting on on these results so that their cases in courts can move forward
0: absolutely and you know for us as a rights organization working mm. with children DNA is so imperative because we have cases where a child is, unable to give visible care evidence in, in, in court, meaning they cannot verbalize as evidence. And DNA becomes absolutely imperative in such cases. Similarly, in cases of persons with disabilities who are not able to give evidence, you know, if we have to say to the minister, Mr. Kwele, this DNA that you are sitting on is the only evidence that is going to get justice for a child. That is how imperative it is that the system needs to be working, especially because when you look also at the trajectory and the crisis that is gender-based violence in our nation, Mm. a lot of people are victims of sexual assault and sexual offenses by perpetrators who have been linked to other cases. But because there is no DNA evidence, that can't be brought up in court. That can't result in a a race. And so we're sitting with cases on the GBV side where adults can give evidence, but it's now a word of... um, it's the defense against the prosecutor and there's no actual evidence linking that. But for the children, that is the only way that we can know that, yes, this crime has been committed against them. Mm.
1: Looking back to May, and this was in Parliament, the police minister, Becky Kele, addressing a parliamentary debate. And he, speaking about um, the, the, the backlog at the forensic science laboratories, said that it had been giving... Um, the officials uh, sleepless nights and blamed the backlog on the budget constraints that uh, are facing different, uh, you know, different departments. How much of that is true?
0: Oh, you see, I'd hazard a guess there and I would say that it should not become civil society's problem to know where the money has gone and whether it has been dispatched to the relevant departments because we as civilians are, you know, sitting, waiting for the people in Parliament to ensure that the systems that keep us safe are moving. You know, I think it would it would benefit us to have somebody who can actually tell us that, okay, this was put up in Parliament. Mm-hmm. Yes, this was the argument brought forward by Mr. Clearly On our side as Treasury, for example, this is what we are saying. Then we'll say, okay, on SAPS's side, on your forensic department, can somebody come and tell us that, okay, did you get the dispatch of the budget? You know, I think it would help if they come and they give us an accurate representation because what I see here is just a shifting of blame. Yes, they have to concede. They can no longer say that, you know, they it's, it's it's just an exaggeration that our forensic system is failing. Now it's a reality they cannot overlook. But now it's becoming pass the blame onto somebody else. And as civilians were saying, okay, so what must we do? Should we sit and wait? Should children sit and wait? Should victims of gender-based violence sit and wait until Treasury dispatches a budget? Maybe Treasury dispatched a budget. And then should we wait until the next, relevant department, SAP is, somebody to do something. You know, it's really unfair that it becomes a parliamentary debate when the reality on the ground is showing that it needs to be expedited as a matter of urgency.
1: Let's take a look at the projections right now. The processing um, of, of of the DNA still seems to be quite slow. Only 21% of the backlog has been been processed so far. What does this practically mean, the impact of that? Uh, speak to me specifically even related to some of the cases that you at, at Women and Men Against Child Abuse could, uh, could be dealing with
0: okay so when there is a delay in the acquisition and the processing of dna evidence it means that a case cannot proceed in court and i'd like to just bring in because i think we've chatted over the course of the last three years maybe four years Mm -hmm. about particular cases that are still ongoing today is 2021 um and there are cases that have come back and the, the investigations are still ongoing. Now, from a child's rights perspective, we have to also advocate for the cognitive wellness of a child, the emotional wellness of a child. Now, you imagine a child has gone through the tragedy of being raped and they are six years old. And their cognitive development and their comprehension of what has happened at that stage is relatively um, in a place where they can they can quickly develop defense mechanisms, if to, put it, to put it very simply, um, and cope with what has happened to them. Now, if we're waiting four years, from a six-year-old to a 10-year-old, every time they appear in court, every time there is a mention of the court case, every time there is a postponement, we are now saying that for the system to proceed, we require the child to go back and relive the trauma. Now, it's it's a balance of getting justice but also wanting the child to be in a place where they can move on with their life because essentially being a victim of rape is a life sentence. You know, it's something that you relive. They will be triggered as you go on in life. You know, your mental health can be impacted very adversely by being a victim of rape. So now we're saying that if we have to wait four years, if we have to wait, you know, it's 23%, that means that there is, my math is not very good, 70-something-plus percent that is waiting. That 70-something-plus could be cases that have been waiting for five years. Mm. Now, are we waiting for five years for a child who is six years old to be 11 year- years old to get to court only to be to- told that the, the sample of DNA is not Um, adequate enough to to, to proceed. Um, We've had a case that was from 2018. Only now in 2021, the mother was told that there's no DNA evidence. And yet this could have been communicated if our system was working. Her Mm -hmm. child was two years old at the time when the child is five years old they've lived in anticipation waiting every single day calling can you get us a response and we have followed up only to be told in 2021 that actually no we're not going to proceed now you Mm -hmm. tell me What is the psychosocial impact on the family, the very fiber of our communities, if they are sitting in limbo for three years to be told that nothing is going to be done? There is no justice that is going to happen for your child because, like I said, no viva voce evidence can be presented in court and cases will not proceed when that is not available. DNA was the only thing that would have communicated. But now, you know, those are the challenges that come up when we say that we're not just making noise as activists to say that, you know, we need the system to work, but there are dire consequences to the well-being of children in our republic, especially, you know, of victims of gender-based violence. They cannot move on until these cases are finalized. And if it's taking five years, we are asking them to just reopen wounds and reopen wounds and reopen wounds, maybe at the end of it, to be told that we don't proceed.
1: It is a devastating situation for not just the victims of these attacks but for the families who, of course, would naturally want to be able to get through the process, have some kind of closure and, you know, Begin the journey of of healing in earnest. We now have, you know, some reports that suggest that this backlog could only be cleared in January 2023. Firstly, does that sound like it is something practical and realistic, given the fact that currently we're sitting still at on a backlog of over two hundred thousand cases?
0: You know, I, it's very optimistic. And, um, you know, the, being very honest for us who have had cases that have waited years, I don't think that's very realistic. I don't think that's practical at all because the assumption there is that we are going to court and no further crimes that require DNA are going to be committed, Mm. then we can clear the backlog. But that's not the reality. Life is moving. Crimes are being committed. Remember, DNA is not only for sexual offenses, it's in other crimes as well. So if we're going to take the number of sexual offenses in South Africa, let's bring in another dynamic. Let's talk about the teenage pregnancies, the children that were under the age of 12 years that were giving birth. Those are all rape cases. DNA must be collected in those cases and perpetrated must be arrested. So, you know, there's there's a larger, a bigger picture that if they say to us that by 2023, we will create 240,000 DNA samples that need to be analyzed. But what about if we have another 100,000 that is going to come up between now and the end of 2022? What is going to happen then? You know, it's almost like saying that we need to pause. And that means that we have to then anticipate that a lot of what we have put on, being that the 240,000 cases, they didn't happen in this year. They didn't happen in the last reporting year. These have been on the books already. And then when we add all of the other ones, what's going to happen there? I really don't think it's realistic. I think they have to be very frank and very honest with the general public because we rely on them as members of parliament and rely on them as ministers and different departments. They have to be very honest with us. You know, if we're looking at 2025, tell us it's 2025. If we're looking at a system that doesn't work, tell us the system doesn't work. Then open up for procurement to be done so that cases can move, you know, so that people can move on with their lives. But I really don't think 2023 is realistic simply based on the cases that we have had that have taken over two, three years to be finalized.
1: One of the challenges that it has also presented is around, um, you know, those who have, con- who have been convicted of Schedule 8 offenses, and this includes murderers and rapists, as you have said, and the fact that they are now not able to submit their DNA, this is before they're actually released from prison when their sentences have come to an end. Uh, what are the challenges that that is going to present in the long run?
0: That is a very complex yet a, a very important question to ask. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I want to frame it in line with the current um, reporting and monitoring measures that are in place in the absence of DNA. Mm-hmm. So when perpetrators are released, um, rapists are released, child rapists, for example, or sexual offenders who need to go on a register, if we can manage that system. I would say I'm optimistic that maybe DNA will contribute. But at the moment, that system is not managed either. So we can't just blame and say that, okay, the perpetrator sitting awaiting trial or with trials that are finalized, you need to be linked by way of DNA. That's really oversimplifying it um, because the bigger picture is the entire system that contribute to the mechanisms, the monitoring mechanisms that we need in our society where there are people that have been convicted, Um, those need to be strengthened first. And that then goes to which part do you strengthen? So do you strengthen the DNA or do you strengthen the mechanism to monitor, you know, parolees who have been released after, after offenses, but they've the, the absence of DNA? You know, when that, cra- that case has proceeded and they're waiting for their trial, then you get human rights organizations coming in and say, well, you don't have any DNA. Why are you keeping this person in jail? That is now a violation of their human rights. So it's, it's, it's very, like, it's, it's, it's stratified. And we need to see where to attack first. But if we get the DNA going, then maybe we're going to link people that are already in prison. Then we don't have to release them and re them. But we can then say that, okay, this person cannot be eligible for parole, for example, because they had been linked by way of DNA to 10 other cases, Schedule 6 offences that they have committed. But it's, it's really not a, a thing of if we fix here, it's going to it's going to be fine. But it's a whole systemic thing that reflects that the whole system, the whole justice system, and everyone who contributes into it needs to strengthen their own relevant aspect of that bigger chain so that it functions for the benefit of mm-hmm. society.
1: Ultimately, Nga, all of these administrative issues have an impact on people's lived experiences with the justice system and the extent to which they are able to get assistance. What are the perceptions that this leaves um, people with? Absolutely, That's, that's very true. And to be quite frank, there
0: is a level of distrust. Um, people don't trust the justice system, not only in the absence of DNA, but generally we have seen, um, we wouldn't be having this conversation if the justice system was functioning as, as it should because the DNA plays a pivotal part of that. But there is a general mistrust. Um, that, you know, the majority of people have got towards the justice system. That is not to say that the entire system doesn't work. But the bulk of the people, the reason we have conversations as as activists, as the media, is because we know that there is a glitch in the system and that people are being let down and that people are not experiencing the the, 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 the trajectory that they need to the, to get towards the, their point of getting justice. So it's it's very it's a, it's an abusive system, if I can put it like that. And we always say with our cases when we advocate for children who have been sitting in the court system for over two, three, six years, that the justice system should not take on the pathology of the perpetrators that are put into it. So you cannot have the system be the abuser, and yet that is the reality. You know, people are abused at the, at, the, at the entry level where they go to SAPS. They, they try to activate the system there and people should lack compassion and empathy towards them and then they abandon it there. Then you get the brave that get to the trial stage and, you know, they're victimized there as well. Then you get to sentencing and they are further victimized by the justice system when minimal when minimum sentences are not are not applied in cases where, you know, women have been raped, children have been raped, families have lost loved ones to murder. So people generally have got a mistrust towards it because the justice system is showing us that, you know, it's it, it got the same pathology as the perpetrators that we are putting into it and we have to change that narrative because we need for people to activate the system if our safety mechanism in our
1: country is going to work. Ngamorombezi, let's leave it there for this morning. She's the advocacy manager at Women and Men Against Child Abuse. So the impact of these backlogs, absolutely devastating for those who have been victims of these very serious crimes. It's just after 10.30, Luyanda Maume standing by with your latest headlines.